can't say anything about that. Um, I, uh, oh, I have control of the slides, um, probably. Let's see if I can get there. I, I can't even blame technology. This is my own fault. Um, I, I married very well. Um, I, I, uh, I, I talk about my wife a lot and I pick on her. Um, but I, I'm going to tell you, like, like as far as, as men who, who have been married in history, um, I, I picked as good as it gets. Um, and she's not in the room now, so, so I can say this without her hearing it, and, you know, it's okay. Part, part of the reason for that is, um, unlike most married men, um, I have a wife who loves action movies. Um, for, for our 10-year anniversary, I, I, I um, found out that, that, that the first Batman, you, did you guys see that, the Christian Bale Batman? I mean, I, I, love, I love me some comic books. Like, and, and Christian Bale, Batman, like, the first one is a huge deal, and everybody's all excited. And I, our 10-year anniversary, we had planned a trip to, um, this is before we had a baby, we could actually do stuff. Um, we, we'd planned a trip to, to, um, northern Michigan area, and we, we had this, like, mystery train ride, like, where they had this big, you know, five-star dinner, and, you know, a floor show with a mystery on the train cars, and, and a bed and breakfast. There was a huge, like, like, romantic weekend away that, that we had planned and spent months planning. And I commented to my wife, I said, well, you know, I, I'm really excited the Batman movie's coming out, but we can't go because the opening day is the day we're leaving for our trip. And my wife looks at me and says, why can't we go? And so we caught the 11 a.m. showing of, of Batman before going. And it was our big anniversary thing. I married well. Um, and I, I've watched very few chick flicks. Is, that's not an offensive word, is it? I, I'm sorry if it is. Some people will find it offensive. But I, I don't watch woman-y movies very often. <laughs> that's less <laughs> offensive, right? Um, not since we were dating. And then, like, like our first couple years of marriage, and, and I... One of the, one of the, probably the last woman-y movie, or chick flick, which is worse? <laughs> chick flick is fine, okay. <laughs> this is how, like, awesome my wife is, she puts up with that. Um, the last, the last chick flick I watched was, um, it was Titanic. Did you guys see this movie? Um, did anybody not see it? Yeah, I saw it. This is the last one, and I, I applaud you for having not seen it. Your lives are better. For <laughs> um, but but um, so this, this movie, it's about a ship that sunk, right? Like, so those of you all who don't know, it's about a boat that sunk, and, and a lot of people drowned. It's kind of a sad story, and apparently Leonardo DiCaprio was there. I don't know. Um, um, but... but you know, this, the ship is hit by an iceberg and the boat sinks and, and the movie takes actually longer to, to take place than the, the ship sinking took to, to actually happen. Um, it felt like a lot longer. I know that. Um, and, and at the end of the movie, there's this scene where the boat is sunk and, and Jack, who's the, the male, I, I quote male protagonist, um, like he's the, the male hero of the story. He's not a very guy guy, but he is the male in the story. And then the, the love interest is Rose, who's kind of shallow. Um, but unfortunately, the ocean is deep, and that's where they're at at this point. Um, and, and the boat has sunk, and there are people drowning, and it's really kind of a disturbing scene, which is why I'm not showing a clip of it. Um, I thought about it, um, and I was like, well, Leonardo DiCaprio drowns, but then like there are lots of people dying, and we can't show that in church. So... Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> there, there's somebody that's getting really offended right now, um, and I'm sorry. It, it, it's the only way I could think of to talk about this. There's, there's this scene where, where Rose is on a, on a 
piece of wood, a door, right? And she's laying on this door, and Jack is holding onto the side of the door, and, and he slowly freezes to death and drowns, right? And it's really sad, and, and all the women in the audience cry, and all the men in the audience kind of, you know, fist pump, and, and <laughs> we're guys. Anyway, um, <laughs> and, and, um, the, the interesting thing about this scene is some 15 years after this movie came out, it's been like 15 years, right? Um, um, the, there's been this weird internet discussion that has like spawned where people have started discussing, did Jack have to die? Um, and I'm, I'm throwing the picture up. Um, I think it started with this, with this young couple that sat down and taped out the door outline. <laughs> and then they, they tested ways to get on the door where both of them could be there. And you'll note, you'll note, they played cards on that door. <laughs> like, like, there's actually a Mythbusters episode where they figured out, you know, it was possible for them to survive, right? Like, Jack, he, he was done for, right? Like, if he stays in the water, he's drowned. But if he gets on the, on the door, there's a way for them both to make it, right? And, and Mythbusters proved it, which means it's gospel. Um, it, and, 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 and so, um, we have this, we have this spot in this film where, where something very reasonable could have taken place. You know, all she had to do, um, Mythbusters proved that it would have been tough to get them on the door. They would have taken a couple of attempts because it took them a couple of attempts. And, and, um, but it, it's possible for them both to live in the end. And you can see from the picture, lots of room, right? Everybody with me? Okay. We're going to pause that and come back to it. Actually, we're going to, um, we're going to pause that and come back to it, and we're going we're gonna to talk some Bible here, okay? Um, um, and actually, before we do that, we're going to pray, all right? Um, Heavenly Father, I pray as we, as we talk about your Son, as we talk about, about your grace, as we talk about the gospel, as we talk about um, the things that you've done for us, that you would move in our hearts and make us open and receptive and help us to hear your Spirit and hear your Word and, and um, be convicted and know you. In Christ's name, amen. Um, here's the basic, you know, and, and if you've been going to church for a while, you should know this. If you, if you haven't heard it, you need to pay attention. This is the important part. Um, everybody sins, right? You with me? Anybody not sin? I, I, you know, even, even Jim didn't raise his hand. That's a sign. We all sin, right? We all actually sin all the time. We sin in ways that, that, um, are, are inventive and creative, right? Like, this is a part of who all men are. All women are, too. I'm sorry. Um, but, but all people are, are infected with sin from birth. We carry it with us, and it teems over us. It is who we are. Um, sin is, is, is a big deal. I know our culture plays it down, and we make it into a joke. Um, a few weeks ago, I talked about this idea. What is sin? Well, Sin is rebellion against God, and I, I likened God's relationship to man like a husband and a wife, because that's what the Bible says, right? Um, for those of y'all who are married or in love or, or think you're in love or what have you, you know, the, the scriptures describe it. When we sin, it's a little like a wife running around on her husband. Anybody here okay with that? Anybody here comfortable with sight? But this is the way that God perceives our sin, and it's horribly offensive to him. Like, like in the same way as a husband would find it horribly offensive if, if his wife was like running around on him. Like, like deep down it wounds him. And actually there are points in the scripture where God will, will stop and say, just come back to me. Just, just cut this nonsense out and come back to me. 
Now, the trick is um, these rules that we violate. This is what sin is, right? It's violating God's rules. These rules that we violate, they carry consequence. Like, um, my last job, there was a rule against eating food in certain areas. And I did it all the time. And I never got in trouble for it. Not a once, right? So it's a rule, but there's no consequences. So I'm going to do whatever I want, right? God's law carries consequence. Ultimately, like, because God is so holy, disobeying his law creates separation. It creates distance between us and him. And so if we're all there, we're all in a place where we're distant from God because of our sin. Um, because in our wickedness, we can't even be in his presence, right? Because God is so holy and set apart that if something that's evil or impure comes near him, like it, it's literally wiped out. So because of our sin, we're separate. We're, we're cast out. And, and we're in a position where we're stuck. Now, if you read the Bible, like it's a, it's a very in vogue thing to make fun of this aspect of the Bible. Um, and, and I'm going to explain this. You know, they'll read in the Old Testament, folks will come along who don't know anything about the scriptures and they'll read the Old Testament and they'll be like, look, they sacrificed animals. Look, they did this rule. This is a ridiculous rule. The rules existed to prove that we can't reach God by our own effort because we break them, right? And so as much as folks like to make fun of those rules, they existed for a purpose. One of the rules was if you sinned, something had to pay, right? So if I were to go and, I don't know, punch Hannah in the face, it's probably a sin as much as most of us have thought about it, but, but it, it would be a sin and I would be liable to God for it. And probably Brooke. <laughs> I could take him. <laughs> He'd be wearing the apron while he beat me up. Um, <laughs> um, and, and so, like, I would be liable to God for that. And, and in exchange, in payment for that sin, God demands punishment. And so what you would do is you would find a lamb, a perfect, you know, perfect, the best of the best lamb, and you would sacrifice it. You would, you would cut its throat, and you would, you know, chop it up, and you would set it on fire and a bunch of other stuff, right? And this was, was symbolic of what happens later. And, like, the idea was when you would sacrifice your sacrifice took punishment for your sin. So I punched Hannah in the face. I didn't, but if I were to, um, I would then have to pass my punishment off to someone else because if it's on me, I'm in trouble, right? Um, The story of Jesus is the story of God looking at us and saying, first off, they can't undo their sin. Everybody with me? Can't undo it. Um, Secondly, not only can they not undo it, I really don't want them all to be punished for their sin, right? Because God's desire isn't that any of us would perish. God created us to be in relationship with him, to worship him, to, to like exist in a perfect setting with him. And sin has wrecked that. And he says, well, i got to fix this. And so how he fixes it is he sends his son, Jesus Christ, born as a human being. And God lives as a man. And like holy God, holy man, tempted in every way, never sinned, completely perfect. And then we torture him to death. And that torturing to death, that, that horrible, like, crucifixion, death on the cross thing is something he didn't deserve, right? And not deserving it, um, he suddenly has a credit in his column. We'll say it that way, right? Actually, what the scriptures say is that when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he chose to see us. And when he looks at us, those of us who are followers of Christ, he sees Jesus. It's called propitiation. That's the technical word, right? Propitiation is when God sees Jesus when he looks at me, because I can't be good, right? I try, ask my wife, I'm not good. Um, 
but I'm forgiven. And all of you are in the same boat. And apart from Christ, God will look at you and you'll see your sin. Um, and that's not what you want. You want God to look at you and see Christ, right? And, and reaching that point is about dedicating your life to him. This is what Christ asked for. He says, listen, I want everything. You die to your old life, you come to life in this life, and you follow me. This is what I want. That's how we're saved. Otherwise, we have to carry the consequence of our sin, right? Um, some of y'all have never heard that before. If you haven't heard it before, take it seriously. This is what the scripture says. I didn't pull that all out of my ear, right? Like, this is the truth of it. Now, the condition of the church in general, the church universal, there are a lot of folks who are saved. There are a lot of folks who know Jesus, who are forgiven by the blood of Christ, who have had their sin dumped onto Jesus and, and are, are free and clear, and they're sitting on the door, and they're watching around, and, you know, they love certain people, but, you know, well, this is not that big of a door, or it might be dangerous to pull you up onto the door with me, or it might be uncomfortable, or I'd actually have to talk about Jesus to invite you up onto the door. And there are a lot of believers who are really comfortable hanging out on the door and watching folks around them drown. Um, when the scripture talks about hell in the Old Testament, like punishment, chaos is the word that it's used. And for the Hebrews, water is sort of the analogy, right? There's a line in um, the Psalms where Matt, David says, um, even if I make my bed at the bottom of the ocean... God will come and collect me up at the time, you know, when it's appointed. And that was a paraphrase. It was the New York translation. Um, some translations choose to render this, even if I make my bed in hell, God will come and get me. Because water and chaos is like, is like hell. That's how they saw it. It's the opposite of God's order. It's chaos, right? Um, and literally, like, like there are believers who hang out and watch the chaos. Say, wow, I hope you're warm in there, you know. Or they, they worry about that person misbehaving. That kind of blows my mind, you know. Oh, you're in there and you're not drowning right. <laughs> you should be more like me on the door <laughs> while you're in the water. You need to stop doing these sins. And then you're okay. But you're still in the water. You're still drowning. You're still going to die. But, you guys following me? Um, we've been talking about this idea of like the indispensable faith. Like, what is it in, in, in Christianity that is, is something that you could never walk away from? And why? Because people walk away from the church in droves right now. And it's not because they stop believing in God. It's because they fall out of the habit, right, is one of the most common things. Um, they fall out of the habit. They feel like it's not that important. They got too much other stuff to do. Or, um, you know, Sunday morning is football and sleeping in or soccer or whatever. Like all of this stuff that we do instead of God. Like we trade these things, right? Well, cast it off. And we've been talking about what makes church indispensable. We've talked about community. We've talked about finding ways for people to make it easier to come in the door. And as I was looking at the topics this week, I was like, the one and only thing that ought to make church indispensable is Jesus. Right? Like, this is what keeps me from answering for my sin. Like, like this is where I'm going to spend forever. Um, and this is where my neighbor is going to spend forever. And what am I doing to save them? Because at the end of the day, like, we're going to throw a really awesome Halloween party next week, right? We had a really, really awesome brisket cook-off last week, right? Um, if that's all we're doing, if we're having community together and eating, there's actually a line where Paul quotes a pagan philosopher. He says, eat, drink, and be merry, for 
tomorrow we die, right? Let's enjoy it while we can. But my tomorrow, when I die, ain't the end. And eat, drink, and be merry might be nice, but if I'm going to eat, be, drink, and be merry, I'm going to do it to bring people to Jesus. That's what's indispensable in the church. The reality that forever is going to happen. And all of us are going to stand before God. And all of us are going to have to answer certain questions. And when he looks at us, he's going to see you or he's going to see Jesus. Everybody with me? You don't earn that. You don't work hard enough to get that. You don't look and say, oh, you look enough like, I want to say Ned Flanders. I hope that didn't offend anybody. (laughs) You were in church every Sunday and you never said swear words and you didn't spill coffee on the sanctuary floor and you didn't, you know, you did all of these things and so you're in. Not a chance. It's all about Jesus. And that is the one and only thing that is most indispensable about all this, right? Now, if we're forgetting Jesus, there's something wrong. Part of how we remember Jesus is in community. So what I've talked about for the last few weeks, big deal, right? We need to spend time being Jesus together. When someone's hurting, you need to call them. When somebody's not showing up, you need to go visit them. When you have time, you need to sit down and read the Bible together. Like, this is community. This is the church. This is the body of Christ, right? How do we forget Jesus? We break away and start hanging out on our own, right? It's the easiest way to do it. It's like pulling a coal out of the fire, right? That was Larry's song this morning. You know, where we let our embers fall and die when we break away and we stand alone. We build our fire up and we toss it back in. And that's why the church is important. But the indispensable thing is Christ. Um, there's a great line in Romans. I'm sure I have a sermon in here somewhere. I've got to probably find it. Uh, Romans 10, 11 to 15. Um, this is Paul. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all. All who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice it didn't say anybody who works hard enough, anybody who gives enough on Sunday morning, anybody who sings the songs in the right chord, that saves me. Um, Anybody who, you know, like, it's not about what you do. It's anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord. And by the way, it's not just, well, Jesus, right? I did it. I'm in. It's... Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord. So if I call you Lord, I darn well better act like you're Lord, right? It's about living this life of obedience to Christ. Not because the obedience gets you there, but because you belong to him, because you're wearing that Jesus covered, like, that Jesus mask with you, like when you face God. Um, all right, so anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can you call on Jesus if you don't believe in him, right? Makes sense. How can they believe in them, in the one of whom they have not heard? So if, I read that really badly, how can they believe in something they haven't heard about? It's a good question. Can't believe in Jesus if I ain't never heard of Jesus, right? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I love that phrase, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Because like, I, I watch, I've been to Larry's house a bunch of times, I've watched him go out and work in, amongst the animals, and he has these like super boots. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're like, it's like you're ready to walk in lava or something like, because you're walking in, in mud and, and 
animal poo, right? Like this is, it's a, it's a nasty bit of business. And it's not the sort of thing you want to track on the floors in the house. Um, it's not the sort of thing you want to take with you. These are people who wore sandals and lived in a community where horses and camels were the main way to get around, right? And people would traffic their sheep through the street. So these folks were wearing sandals and walking in poo constantly. How beautiful are that guy's feet if he's coming and he's saving me from my own sin, right? But the problem is somebody's got to tell him. Guess who God sent to tell him? It's those of us who are sitting on the door, right? Is there a room? I mean, and, and some of you guys know folks who are still drowning, right? You're picturing them in your head right now. You know who they are. Um, I'm reading a book right now um, on, um, well, we'll jump to that in a second, on uh, folks who come into the church, right, who were never in church, raised their whole lives, never went to church, and came into the church. The dominant, largest percentage of people who came into the church and met Christ were as a result of people telling them about Jesus. Sunday morning, hearing the sermon, there's a percentage there. Showing up to small groups and events, there's a percentage there. Biggest percentage. Folks on the door pulling people up. Please don't freeze to death, get up here. Please don't drown. Get up here. It's on us. It's on me. It's on all of you. It's our job. And, well, the last question is, how can they hear if they're not sent? Well, go do it, right? <laughs> Consider it that, you know, this is the sending sermon, right? This is the indispensable part of the church. Go save people. And if you're not saved at this point, get there. Because drowning ain't something you want. Um, interestingly, I'm going to divert one of this is my last rabbit trail, and I'll get back to what I'm talking about. Um, the largest, most effective evangelism, telling people about Jesus that takes place, like percentage-wise, is between family members. Isn't that crazy? Um, it's, and actually, most prominently, it's wives and husbands. Wives and husbands, because wives, like the average American church is, is women, like percentage-wise are more women than men. Why? Because men sleep in and watch football on Sunday mornings. Um, but God calls men to take a special position within the church. And women in America today are more likely to lead their husbands back to Christ. Which, is, you know, Paul says that. He says, um, the wife redeems the, the husband, Right? Um, if the husband's a non-believer, if the husband isn't following Christ, the wife redeems the husband. Um, our passage for this morning, wow, this is a long divert, and I, I promise we're going to work our way through this. It's not going to be two in the afternoon, probably. Uh, Acts 8 um, is where we're going to be at. So if you have a Bible, hunt it down. It'll also be on the screen because I managed to make slides this week. Um, this is uh, Philip. There's a bunch of stuff happening, and Luke wrote this, and he's got this great habit, whereas he's writing narrative, Sometimes he'll just build a left turn in, right? I, I always think of, uh, anybody ever watched the old Batman? The Adam West Batman, the awesome Batman? Um, and, and this is my second comic book reference in the sermon, by the way, for those of you who are keeping track. There's a scene where, like, he's driving the Batmobile and he's like, you know, prepare for bat turn. And he shoots out a grappling hook and catches a sign and turns the corner real quick. <laughs> Which Mythbusters proved isn't possible. Um, 
They did. Um, this is a bat turn moment where um, there's stuff going on. There's persecution. There's there's new people coming into the church, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit steps in, which is Luke's standard, right? What changes things? The Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit grabs hold of this is our plan and says, nope, this ain't your plan. You're going over here. And the over here they're going is Philip, right? Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Um, This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Okay, so there are several characters involved here. Philip is one of Jesus' disciples, right? Spent three years following Christ. He knows his stuff, right? This is a mature believer led by the Holy Spirit, right? So we have our, our Christian We have an Ethiopian eunuch. This is a guy who's gone to Jerusalem to worship. There's some tricky stuff here. Anybody not know what a eunuch is? (laughs) Anybody embarrassing? (laughs) A eunuch is a man who's been surgically altered in a way that prevents him from becoming a parent and makes him enjoy movies like Titanic. Um, (laughs) That's right. I just said that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So this man is a eunuch. Now, He goes to Jerusalem, meaning he's trying to follow the God of the Jews, right? Now, as a eunuch, he's excluded from worshiping God in the temple. So this guy shows up, and he's not able to get into the temple, because that's that's the rule. Eunuchs were not allowed into the place of assembly. So this is a guy, think totem pole, right? Like, you got the guys who are like prominent families, priests and stuff like that, scribes, teachers of the law. We'd have to break a hole in the floor. Eunuch is near the bottom. Right? Like, eunuchs, you were not allowed into the temple. So this guy goes to worship. He wants it bad enough that he's gone to worship, but he's not even able to get in the door. Philip, go hang out by that guy, right? Now, for a Jew to hang out next to a eunuch, uh, not necessarily the highest of honors, right? Like, it's not the sort of guy that you're seeking out. Like, like not the, not the big landowner in the community, not the guy that you wanna, you know, he's, he's kind of a reject. Even though he's got a great job, He still can't get any respect. How do we know that? Well, he's reading the book of Isaiah, which means he has a paper book, right? We take for granted how cheap paper books are. This is a hand-copied, handmade paper book. Most towns would have one copy of the Torah. That's the first five books. They would not have um, the entire Old Testament. It was unusual to have the book of Isaiah. Why? Because it was expensive, Right? Because it took people years to put these things together. So this guy has a copy of the book of Isaiah, meaning he's got some money, right? Um, and he's reading it. The Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah, um, the prophet, and do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now think about this for a minute, okay? This is a guy who owns what's essentially a million-dollar book. He goes to the temple, very wealthy. Now, you find me a church that turns away rich people, but he's not allowed in the door. And so he's hanging out outside. He's got a copy of the book of Isaiah, and no one will explain it to him. Now, there were people whose job it was just to hang out and teach these books, lots of them. Who explained the book to him before? No one. 
That's how low this guy is on the rankings. No one will even explain this stupid book to me. He probably could have hired somebody to do it because he's rich. But nobody's doing it. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? By the way, who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? How is this significant to a eunuch, right? He ain't going to have kids. And to not have children in this culture was pretty shameful, right? So we got to point a connection between Jesus and this guy. And so he, he's reading the ideal passage. The eunuch said to Philip, please, or tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Um, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and he baptized, Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and um, traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns he reached until he reached Caesarea. Okay, um, this guy is so moved. Now, this is the desert, right? Coming across some water on the way, this is not like a lake. But they jumped in. This guy is like, I want this. This is a guy who wants it bad, right? He's lost. There are several components to this that we need to understand. The big four, right? There's a servant. This is you guys, most of you, right? This is our job. We tell people about Jesus. We share the gospel. We pull people onto our door. We don't let Jack drown. Maybe Leonardo. We don't let Jack drown. No, him neither. Like, we don't let these guys drown. But we can't do it unless we do it, right? Like, we have to actually put the effort in. It's got to be a part of who we are and what we do. This is essential to our calling because I can't imagine anybody would sit on the door and watch their neighbor drown and say, well, it doesn't matter. But we forget. Jesus is the only way to salvation. He said it himself, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. Um, there's a sinner. There's a sinner. There are people all around us, right? You know them. In fact, I'm sure that we've all sat and talked to our neighbors about them. No, I'm sure not. That didn't happen. Um, but you know who I'm talking about, right? That guy who spends a little too much time drinking. That guy who, you know, sleeps in on a Sunday morning. That guy who's shacking up with his honey. That guy who we all love to gossip about, right? Like, that guy. Um, and these are people who are suffering sometimes, right? In this story, the eunuch says, hey, this guy's got no descendants. I ain't going to have descendants. I'm filling in. This is a little editorializing. But I think it's a fair read, right? It's not insignificant that this is a part of the passage. Um, and the question arises, like, do we see folks hurting? I'll tell you, at my office and on my cell phone, I get quite a few phone calls from people who say, this is my problem. I'm miserable. You know, can can we talk and you help me fix it? Or this is, you know, the problem I see, what can we do to make it better? Christ is the answer to that, right? Jesus is the answer to the hurt in our lives. Jesus is the answer to our sin. Jesus is the answer to all of that. And only in Jesus do we find an answer. Um, the scriptures, they went through the Bible. They did. How did... 
Philip, or how did Philip know about the scriptures? Well, he spent time learning them. If we're not sitting down and learning them, we ain't going to be able to do it. Why are the scriptures important? Well, the scriptures are important because what the Bible tells us is, is that they're God's word and his spirit is in them and there's extra weight to them, right? My words are cool. I know they're cool. My mom told me so. Um, God's word is powerful. We use God's word because it's effective. Because the scriptures have weight beyond our own. An authority that comes from the creator of the universe. Um, and the Holy Spirit. As much as we all like the idea of thinking that, you know, we can do it. How many like the, I mean, I can do it. I can do almost anything. It's God's spirit that does stuff. Um, and we don't invest ourselves in, in, in that relationship. The spirit's not going to honor our lives. Um, and we're not going to be effective in our witness. Um, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because what's essential in the church? Jesus, right? And then saving the drowning folks around us. There's nothing more essential than that. Um, we're a part of the process. We need to know things so that we can answer questions, so that we can call people to his side, so that we can save the drowning. We need to be able to do this. And we need to do it quick. Because you never know when it's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like a thief in the night, right? Death happens. You know, people face God when they're not ready or when they are ready. Um, I'm going to call Larry forward to sing our last song. We're going to do something a little different this morning. Um, It's something that um, um, we're not going to do every week. um, But it's something that's important. Um, I believe that part of what God calls people to do is make commitment to be public about how we commit. Like, that's why it says, well, confess with your mouth, right? Be baptized. Baptism was a sign, an outward sign that you had followed, chosen to follow Christ, right? And you did it in front of a crowd of people so people knew this is you, right? Um, my challenge for you is some of you guys are sitting on the door. Isn't that the truth? Some of you guys hearing that just kind of, ooh, I don't like that topic. Part of what God calls us to is to stand up and be accounted for. My challenge for you today is, like, if you feel called in this way, I want you to come on forward. I want you to pray. Um, if you feel challenged to go out and share the gospel, if you feel like you're somebody who doesn't and doesn't know how, because I know I stand in that boat quite a bit. There are days I'll be like, well, I don't know what to say. But you know it's something you should be doing. Come on forward. If you're willing to let the Spirit move in your life, if you're somebody who doesn't know Jesus at all, as Larry's plan, we're just going to do the song the one time, And my challenge for you is if you feel called, come on forward. Um, We don't do it every week. We ain't going to do it every week. But stand up and be accounted for one way or the other. Larry? Page uh, 65 in your hymnals, please. There's something about that name.